As we've been moving through Mark chapter 3, we discover in the first 10, 11 verses that Jesus was making a difference. That's what we talked about last week. If we want to make a difference, a lot of it is touching people where they live and the needs that they have. And Jesus was generous in his power. He was uh, approachable. He was willing to accept anyone who came to him as he began to display him, put himself on display and touch people with the power of God. As we move through that section, we come to this element here where he ends up choosing those 12 men that he wants to be with him so that he can equip and train them for the mission. It always is remarkable to me that there's a hundred different things Jesus could have done. He could have started a business or a company or he could have started a website or something to promote the mission of the gospel. Uh, He could have found all kinds of ways to move forward. Uh, he could have put up a big tent ministry beside the synagogues and said, we're going we're gonna to start a church right beside the synagogues and we're going to compete with them. But he didn't do any of that. What he did is that, as we're going to see in this text, that he tw- chooses a small handful of men that he's going to invest to because he knows that this is going to be the most strategic thing that he can do in multiplying and expanding the mission that he has in this world. It seems a little bit insane to us because it's like, why are you taking these 12 clunkers? Because they're going to mess it up and they're not going to do it really well. And in the next three years, he's going to equip and empower and encourage and and put them in the position that he's going to literally force them to say, look, the ball's in your hands, go with it. And we're sitting here today because of the mission that was started by Jesus in this particular way. And churches who talk about discipleship I believe, need to sort of learn from what we see here. So let me begin by reading the text and then let's walking through what I'm calling the heartbeat and the heartbreak of discipleship. And you'll see it flesh out here in unusual ways, even in the life of Jesus. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to, those, to him those whom he desired to be with him, is what the idea is. And they came to him and he appointed 12, whom he also will name apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerdes, that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew who is also known as Nathaniel, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and the, uh, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who he puts a little subscript there, who betrayed him. It's almost like a a redactive disclaimer. Uh, He picked this guy, but you know where he's going. In the midst of this, he, he then follows it up by saying this statement. Then he went home, Jesus, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when the family heard of it, they went out to seize him, and they were saying, he is out of his mind. Doesn't sound like a real popular person, even with his family. One of the things that we will discover is that discipleship is not going to be for everybody. Uh, Jesus chose 12 people. And it's not that the others uh, weren't there. He had lots of disciples. He had massive crowds around him. And Jesus ministered to the crowds, but that wasn't where his priority is. He was going to invest in a certain group of individuals who he will command later to go and do the same thing, to invest in individuals. And if there's anything that you take away, or if you miss everything else, take this away, that at the highest priority of disciple-making is relationships. 
Some people love relationships, others can't stand them. It puts you in a bit of a bind when it comes to following Jesus because at the heart of this is Jesus says, I want you to be with me. Reminds me of a story, and I forgot the individual who wrote it, but it was based on a true event in his life that there used to be a Chicago-based newspaper called Streetwise. It was sold by homeless people who would collect a portion of the proceeds, so it was designed to help those who had need. Uh, one day, I, this person says, I was walking to work and I passed a Streetwise vendor. It was bitterly cold January morning and I'd already shopped by, uh, stopped by Starbucks and paid more than a buck for a mere cup of coffee. Obviously, this wasn't last week. Uh, the person that was sitting there at the vendor then said, hey, listen, would you like to buy a story, uh, a paper? And he struggled to find his wallet. He reached in, took out a dollar, and the homeless woman who was there said, do you really want the paper, or I can keep it and sell it to someone else because she needed to make more, more money? He said, well, I'll keep the paper. I, you know, I don't really need it. How are you doing? And she said, well, I'm super cold. It's really cold out here. And he says, well, I hope the sun will come up and warm you up. And then he moved on. He told her to have a good day. And as he was walking down the street about a block later, all of a sudden him with a warm coffee in his hand and thinking about blessing her with hopefully having a warm day, he suddenly felt great conviction upon his own heart. That as he was talking with this woman, he wrestled with the fact that he could have even given her his coffee to help warm her up rather than just wishing her a good day. You know, I don't know about you, but that's kind of all of our stories, isn't it? No matter how generous we think we are, there's always times that we discover kind of the, sort of the neglect in our own heart to care about people that are right in front of us. In fact, our culture has at times mastered that ability that we ignore certain people because we know they're dysfunctional and helping them is not going to do any good. We've often become callous to the idea of helping people because we've got so much technology that if the guy, person's stranded on the side of the road, they're probably calling someone to get help anyway. Everybody has AAA or something to tow the car. And so we've developed a heart that easily can pass by people and, and we just don't want to do anything either because it's intruding on my schedule and the things that I have in front of me or it won't make any difference anyway. Or, of course, there's the other factor is I'm just not sure what I'm walking into and I don't want to put myself or anyone else in harm's way. One of the things we will discover about the reality of this is that Jesus had a high priority that he was going to find people and his priority, that happened to be man, that he's going to invest in to continue this mission because he knew he wasn't going to be there forever. He knew that the cross was going to come and it meant that he was going to return back to heaven and he needed, he had an urgent need to reproduce himself. And so his commitment to the making disciples, I will suggest to you, isn't found here in Mark, it's actually found in Luke because in Luke we're told that when he goes up on the mountain, before he makes this choice of pulling people out, he goes up and he prays through the night. In fact, it tells us very specifically in this text that when he went up on the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God and when day came, he called the disciples and chose from them 12 whom he would name apostles. So we know we're talking about the same text. And the first thing that I want to propose to you that Jesus models for us is that if we're going to be involved in the process of making disciples, we have to be a people of prayer. 
And I don't mean as an exercise that we do every morning just to kind of start the day. I mean that I believe that Jesus spent all night in prayer because at least a part of that time had to be discussing, Father, who do you want me to pick? And we can debate the sovereignty of Jesus and whether he already knew. I think that he was relying on his relationship with the Father and praying because this was the most critical decision that he will make in his ministry is picking individuals that he can invest in to further the gospel because Jesus had the crowds. He had done miracles. He had performed and healed people and cast out unclean spirits. He had the attention of the crowds, and in our culture, that would be success. The bigger, the better. The more monstrous, the more you can fill up your building. You're obviously being successful. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with that. He knew the crowds were going to be fickle, even those who would follow him. When you get to John chapter 6, you discover that he makes some statements that drive all kinds of disciples away because they think his statements are morbid and, and who in the world can accept this stuff? They believed in Jesus to the point that it, that it was comfortable, but the moment it got uncomfortable, they hit the brakes and went, no, I don't mind following Jesus, but I've got my, I've got my limits on what I'm going to do. And you run into the same thing today is that there's all, the, the crowds are sometimes fickle because you'll get some that are passionate, some that really want to, to, to take seriously the reality of following Jesus, to deny self, take up their cross and follow him. But there's going to be others that at times when Jesus is going to make statements, they're going to hit the brakes and say, well, no, that's, you know, you're way asking way too much. We know that some responded because later on he's going to send out 70 more to, to penetrate the life of Israel and try to communicate that their servant king is here and trying to prepare them to respond positively but by faith. And so it, it's in spite of all those things around him, Jesus is going to say my biggest priority is I'm going to build into individuals. I'm only taking 12 of them and I'm going to build into their life and make a difference but it begins with prayer. And so if you want to be a, I believe if you want to be a disciple, someone who's genuinely going to follow Jesus, I think we have to learn to pray. If there's any quality, any ingredient, any element of the Christian life that we need to learn to master, to integrate as a, as a vibrant, feeding, substantive element of the way we live, it's we've got to be a people of prayer. And certainly if you find people that want to encourage and invest in others, How can you do that? You can go through the mechanics of it, but you can't really invest if you're not a person of prayer. And so right at the beginning, there's this massive challenge to say, listen, in a culture we've got no time for anything, the people who are best suited, if you're just going to handpick and ask for hands, who are best suited are going to be the people who pray. And sometimes we might look at it and go, well, I'm not sure that means me because my prayer life stinks right now. Yeah, I fire a few things off to Jesus once in a while, but it's not sort of the fabric of the way I live life. And so he, that's, that's his dedication. His devotion is the process, and you'll notice as it, it says here, he called to himself those he desired to be with him. See, the, if you miss everything else, you have to realize that for Jesus, it's all about relationship. It, it is, it, everything is on the relationship with him because as he's going to say in John, he's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, we're going to do nothing. 
And so if we don't have this relationship with Jesus, we've got nothing. And for many of us, we need to realize that starts with the gospel, where we realize that Christ died and was buried and raised because we're all broken and we're all sinful. We are enemies of God. We've suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. That we think that we can love ourselves, not God, and if we just do good things, that we're good enough. But if we're not loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, in our own state as broken, sinful human beings, we need the gospel. We need to find forgiveness with God so that we can be justified by, before the Father because of the righteousness of Christ. And it begins by me acknowledging that I'm a sinner and God, I need you to forgive me because I want to receive and accept the person and work of Jesus and what he did for me. See, if it doesn't start there, you can have all the religious ideas you want and all the morality you want and you're not much good to God as a disciple maker because or as a disciple, because the doorway is Christ, not religion. The doorway is Christ, not a church. The doorway is Christ, not communion, which will confuse some people because they assume it's the same thing. And so the heartbeat of disciple-making for Jesus is relationship with him. It's his highest and first priority. But there's people that Jesus says, you have to be with me. You can't, I just stop picking a bunch of people so that you can send the placard like, hey, you know, I met Jesus. You know how you take signs, you go to ball games and sports around, you get pictures with, you know, the, some all-star, someone on the, we put it up on Facebook or social media. We go, look who I'm with. Now that's not a permanent friendship for most of us. That's kind of like, hey, guess who I get to meet? And then they disappear and you never talk to them again. We definitely can't treat Jesus that way. Like, put him up on our face. Look, I know Jesus, and that's about as far as it goes. At the heart of discipleship is Jesus says, I, I, I desire them to be with me. And the question is, do you desire to be with Jesus? And you'll notice they put in that little phrase, and they came to him. That may seem like common sense, but just because Jesus calls doesn't mean those who claim to be Christians are going to want to be with him. And sometimes we discover that in the lack of our own prayer time and spending time in the Word and maybe even part of a, a fellowship of, of believers. We, we know the title and we've got the picture, but I don't know if we at times really want to be with him and sometimes it goes back to the idolatries of our own heart that we have addictions to so many other things we don't have time to be with Jesus. And so if Jesus calls, the question is, he wants you to be with him, do you want to be with him? Because it's got to be more than just a picture that I put up on my whiteboard. And so as Jesus moves through this, his priority, as we've talked about, is not just drawing crowds, but changing individuals. He's not just trying to impress people with his power. He's trying to attract people to the reality of who he is. And, and as we wade through these issues, not everyone who claims to know Jesus is going to end up being even a real learner of Jesus, much less someone who's going to turn around and says, because Jesus has cared so much for me, I, I'm going to invest in other people. As limited and as broken and as finite, and I don't have all the answers, and I don't know anything else, but Christ is so compelling in my life that I just want to encourage and move alongside someone else because of all that he's done for me. 
And so at the heart of this, that's what we want to be about at Oak Grove Church. In fact, I want to remind you that we've called a meeting with a lot of our formal leaders that we have in room 107 after the service at 11 to talk about the whole disciple-making piece. And if you're interested in that, even if you're not a leader, I encourage you to come and talk to us because we want to talk and, and raise up people who want to invest in others. Now you might say, well, aren't we doing that with our programs and our ministries? Yeah, that's part of it. But it kind of goes back to the thing is, if we could make disciples just by someone preaching, I mean, you got a lot of blabbers in the pulpit, right? We, we talk a lot. If that was good enough, we wouldn't need other ministries. We'd just launch everybody out because you'd be hanging on every word I said. You'd be convinced that the Spirit of God is speaking, not me. You'd just take it and it would rip your heart apart and put it back together. You'd go out of here zoomed and the first person you ran into, you'd share Jesus with them and lead them to Jesus and then you'd disciple them so that they could be a disciple maker. That doesn't happen very often. And people fill churches and go through programs and everything else and 10, 15 years down the road, they're kind of going like, okay, it's been encouraging. I don't know what difference it's made for me. Because at times it's so hard for us to get truth from the word, even if it's in a great context, and have this real discussion with the Spirit of God saying, God, how do you radically want to change my heart? What has to change? And am I really willing to make changes in my life that you're calling me to do? Not what the pastor's calling me to do, but what you're calling me to do. And I'm willing to go there regardless if I have to sacrifice some of my schedule and other things. Because we're going to discover with these guys, there isn't one single person that he's going to choose that their occupation lined up with what Jesus was calling them to do. They're going to have to make some massive adjustments in their life if they're going to follow Jesus. And I know that the challenge for many of us is that it's hard just to kind of squeeze them into the schedule. That's the tension that you and I live with because there's so much going on in our life. But Jesus' desire was that he was going to call these men and he's going to change their life. He's going to invest in them. He didn't need the crowds. He's choosing a small handful of guys and it's relationship first, responsibility second. They'll never understand the responsibility if they don't know the relationship. They need to know his heart. They need to know what Jesus believes. They need to know what he values. They need to know what his priorities are. They need to know what behaviors he wants them to live by. He, wants to, he needs to impact their character so their character reflects Jesus because the end doesn't justify the means. They need to learn a lot of things from Jesus if they're going to be in line with the mission of Jesus. And even though Jesus does a skillful job saying, hey, you fishermen, I'm going to help you be fishers of men, that'll get their attention, but they're not going to use fish hooks anymore. And so Jesus' desire was about empowering these individuals to carry on the mission. And I'll mention it later, but to me, the whole strategy of Jesus and you need to sort of understand this with a grain of salt. It's not because I don't think programs and ministries are important. Those are simply structures that bring us into relationship with people. The danger in churches is they go, oh, well, the program is the success. If we ran the program right, we're successful. And I believe Jesus didn't have any programs. I mean, I don't really see any. He sent them out into 
at times to do really strategic things, but there wasn't a lot of programs. Jesus' strategy is that people are the mission, not programs. It, it's people that are the mission and the, and the strategy, not programs. And part of our vision frame that we're communicating is that we want our spiritual health and success to be measured by the impact we have outside these walls as much as we have them inside. And that is only going to come if we encourage and empower one another that when we're out there, we're willing to be on mission for Jesus as those who want to make disciples. We're not trying to hide from the world. We need to step into the world. We're not going to be like the world, but we want to penetrate it. And we can't do that here. This is kind of a pep rally. This is kind of an encouraging time. This is getting our eyes fixed back on Jesus and saying, Jesus, remind me again what I'm supposed to be doing this week. How do I make sure Jesus is the centerpiece of my schedule and all that I'm doing? But the process that Jesus had is that he was appointing these people for a specific purpose. It wasn't He wasn't going to have Bible studies with them to have for the sake of Bible studies. He's preparing these guys to be out on the mission. There was a specific purpose. And Jesus has his own way of shaping our lives that may be very different than the way we do things. There was a story told by Billy Hanks and William Scher about a veteran missionary who met a new missionary called Johnny who was on the field, ended up being on the field with him, and he was committed to this idea of disciple-making. But it was a different approach than the veteran missionary had. He kept working with this young guy, trying to get him to tweak to fit his mode of doing things. Being that they're different generations uh, of age, that was going to be a challenge anyway. But Johnny kept resisting. The veteran missionary kept trying to prod him and get him to do things differently. He wouldn't do it. This Johnny would just meet with a group of men. And the, the veteran missionary is going like, there's just all kinds of needs out here. Why are, why are you spending time just with a few guys? And they kind of battled this. But at some point, the veteran ministry, his uh, visa or something ran out. And he had to go back. T- and uh, I don't know if he was retiring or whatever. But his comment was this. I've got little to show for my time here. Oh, there's a group of people who meet in our assembly, but I wonder what will happen to them when I leave. They are not disciples. They have been faithful in listening to my sermons, but they do not witness. Few of them know how to lead another person to Christ. They know nothing about discipling others, and now I'm leaving. I can see I've all but wasted my time. Then I looked at what was come out of Johnny's life. One of the men he worked with is now a professor at the university. The man is mightily used of God to reach and train scores of university students. Another is leading and witnessing a discipling team about, with about 40 young men and women. Another is in a nearby city with a group of 35 growing disciples around him. Three have gone to other countries as missionaries and are leading teams who are multiplying disciples. What he was doing seemed so insignificant, but now I look at the results and they are staggering. We love the bigger and better. But what, I, what Jesus was calling in his first priority is, I need some people that are going to surrender to me and walk after me in such a way that I can use you to change the world. The days of you build it and they'll come, I think, are long over. In one sense, they're not. 
there's all kinds of churches that have incredible abilities and resources and they seem to attract a lot of people. That looks magnificent at times. I think if you actually talk to some of these pastors of larger churches, the headaches are even astronomically more bigger. And the idea of getting people to volunteer, to serve, to disciple them is even a mountain to overcome. But it's people. Of all the things Jesus could do, he picked 12 individuals and said, I want to make a difference. I'm not going to take time. The names of them are here on the slide so that you can see them. But if you look at them, these are individuals who came from all different walks of life. You got fishermen in here, you got people that are brothers from the same family. You'd think that would never work out, but you know, who knows? You got a tax collector. You get some names on here that you go, that guy was an apostle? Like, I don't even know that guy's name. Because he's mentioned, but we don't necessarily hear much about him. Simon the Zealot, well, he's got that name for a reason. He's kind of the hothead, he's the one that just like, let's go get it. Judas, of course, was the businessman. He's the one that looked after the finances. That's about all he was good for, and even then it was a problem. But the point is not the problems they brought. These people come from all different walks of life. And, and, and this problem that we run into really shows our lack of faith in who God is because we, I often hear people saying, well, I'm just this. God could never use me. Well, I just do this for a living. It's not even a real job. God could never use me. Well, you don't understand the people. I, I, I work in the government or the public arena, so I know that I can't make a difference there because they won't allow me. Well, I'm just a student, so you know, I've, I'm up to my gills in work. I don't have time to even talk to people unless they're in my class. And, and I want to tell you, Jesus picked these people from all different walks of life because Jesus can change anybody to be effective and make a difference for him if we're willing to follow him. Now, in this particular case, he's going to choose these individuals at some point to be apostles because they're going to help lay the foundation of the church moving forward when Jesus is gone. He needed an authoritative presence so that people would know it's the real thing. It's the same thing. But there's going to be all kinds of other people that are following him that are going to just have an impact because they're willing to surrender and follow Jesus anywhere. They didn't have a position or a title. Sometimes we get caught in that. Unless I have a position or a title, I can't make a difference. I don't read that memo in here. We keep thinking the way the world does. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough answers. I don't know my Bible well enough. I've only been a Christian for so long. I've been a Christian too long. And at the heart of this, it comes down to people are willing to respond to the call of Jesus because he says, I want you to be with me, and if you want to be with me, I can change you. But there's a lot of us that all of a sudden hear that and we're kind of going, okay, what's that going to mean, Jesus? Oh, nothing. You just have to deny self, take up your cross, and follow me every day. Can I get back to you on that? Let me me pray about that. And so the cost of this 
isn't just in what the disciples had to surrender to Jesus, but I want you to know the cost that it was to Jesus. Because we've talked a little bit about the heartbeat of Jesus in terms of what he was trying to do, and, and really, in a sense, he's looking for people with the same heart that are willing to believe in who he is and have faith in what he says they ought to do and trust him implicitly and not like grill him every time he asks them to do something. Although we had a few of those, doubting Thomas was kind of like, what do we have to do that for? Like, what's all that about? Or why do we have to do this? We don't, you know. So it, they all struggled because they're human beings. But the cost of making disciples is that you'll notice that he says, then Jesus ends up going back to his home and this crazy mob follows him. And, and it didn't happen every time that Jesus did something, but here's a perfect example of a time when these, this crowd came bombing back into his place. And what we're discovering is that disciple making doesn't necessarily fit your nine to five schedule. That there's times that if you're gonna be a disciple maker and you're going to invest in people, that it's going to intrude on your family life sometimes. And while I'm all for the fact that we need to, as it were, protect our family time and make sure we make time for family and quality time, and to some degree in the world we live in, we need to probably secure that even more so because the family lives in the same house but nobody ever sees anything. So I'm all in favor of that. But sometimes our own families can be an idol against Jesus because even Jesus can't get any room in there. And if, if being a disciple and a disciple maker means that, that there are people gonna intrude in my home or in my family space, that's not gonna work for me. And if it does, Jesus, that's kinda where I draw the line on this thing is that if it's gonna take any time away, just like it did here, not interested. Now, it doesn't mean we have to be a workaholic. That's the problem with American Christianity is that we measure everything by nights and commitments and programs and how many things I'm involved in. And now we've gotten to the point where nobody, a lot of people don't want to volunteer for anything because I don't want to get trapped because then I lose control of my schedule. Well, I get all that. <laughs> Believe me, I have a schedule. I understand the demands of rapid pace life. But there's always a danger that if the moment that it encroaches, that being a disciple encroaches upon the schedule that I have set up, I'm not really interested. And people and disciple making doesn't work that way. There are times that it encroaches on family. And I am super thankful and admire individuals who often make sacrifices to serve others, not at the expense of their family, but at times in order to meet the needs of others who also have a radical commitment to also make time for their family. Because at times, that's what it does. They didn't even have time to eat. The demands of people were so overwhelming that his family got kind of annoyed at this. And they come out and do some remarkable things because they're trying to get him arrested. Ruby Shelley in Discipleship Magazine made this comment. Recruitment posters for our country's armed forces may emphasize seeing the world or getting financial help with college. But the harsh truth is that the enlistment in the military causes, carries serious risks 
The crew and the families of the USS Cole were reminded of that October 12, 2000, when terrorists caused the deaths of 17 and injured dozens other while they were refueling in Yemen. I think the danger is when we talk about Christianity, we're likely to put a poster up and saying, hey, here's, here's our services and here's our programs and we can meet your needs and we got stuff for kids and family and youth and whatever. But we suddenly miss the reality that the, the idea here isn't to just have programs that meet our needs, it's about being called into service by Jesus to be disciple makers ambassadors in the world who are to let our light shine in such a way that the world sees us and they see Christ and they're willing to worship him. That we have such a passion for Jesus that that we understand that this isn't just a Sunday or Wednesday activity. This is about taking Jesus into the workplace. This is about taking Jesus to school and in my neighborhood, to the board councils, to the elections in November. Jesus doesn't want to be scheduled in. He wants all of us. And he wants to be involved in everything we do because he wants to be with us. And the question is, do we want to be with him? And you'll notice that at the end of this verse, the conflict that Jesus has to face of investing in people starts with family. Most commentators will recognize the the framework of this verse by simply saying his family is getting so fed up with this they're trying to get their own son arrested. Uh, It's really hard to interpret the nature of all that's going on there but there's clearly it says their family went out and the statement that seems to be very connected with the family is this guy's losing his mind. So Jesus, probably not mom and mom, we don't know where dad is, he's not mentioned here or whatever but Mom had a special heart for Jesus no matter what was going on. She was there all the way to the end. But I bet you his brothers and sisters, and you do know he had brothers and sisters, right? He had brothers and sisters. Okay, that's pretty clear in the the text, not just here in other places, but he did have brothers and sisters, so that might be a new thought to some of you. I mean, what do you think if your brother went out and, you know, he's healing all these people? He's getting all the attention, yeah, I'm going to have him arrested too. He's being a snit. He's so full of himself. He thinks he's, you know, God or something. And, you know, he's out there healing people and getting all the attention. It's like, I'm going to have this guy arrested. I'm tired of all these people being in our space. But the point is, if you're going to be a disciple maker like Jesus, sometimes you can catch the friction from family. Sometimes they're not going to understand what it means And they think you're nuts because of some of the things that you're willing to put up with. I think I've told most of you the story with Barb and I that because she was an MK and her parents were missionaries in Chile for 50 years, that she grew up seeing all the stuff their family, I mean, they had people in their homes, they just put up with stuff all the time, and she grew up saying, I'm never going to marry anybody in ministry. So we had a lot of conversations before we got married. Because the problem is, not if you're just in a formal position, but if you're really going to do ministry, it's going to encroach on your life. It doesn't mean to abandon your family. It means that there's times there's going to be interruptions. That disciple-making means I'm, I, there's people that have needs here, and I need to attend to them for this occasion. 
I remember when I went to uh, Bible college, I had a discussion with my dad. I actually went to two years of took civil engineering at Southern Alberta Institute of Technology because my dad went to church, but he was a moralist, didn't understand Jesus at all. And I said, I want to go to Bible college. And he says, I'm not supporting that. So I said, well, what do you think I should do? And he says, well, go to tech or something. So I did that for two years to honor my dad. When I was done, my heart was still like, you got to go to Bible college. I kind of figured God was at fault there. So I sat down with my dad again. I went, Dad, I, God wants me to go to Bible college. And he says, well, I'm not supporting you. I said, I know, but I got to do it anyway. And I was really, I was trying to be really polite to my dad, but I said, Dad, I want to, I wanted, I've lived my whole life trying to do stuff so you'll be pleased with me. But I can't live my entire life trying to gain your approval. I have to do what God wants me to do. And that caused some friction. And sometimes your own family members aren't going to understand the reality of what it means to make sacrifices at times to invest in others. And not only did his family get frustrated with him and wanted him even to get arrested, but remember, he picked Judas as part of his disciple-making team, and we know that Judas fundamentally and royally and eternally failed. And so one of the heartbreaks of disciple-making is that you know that even if you're investing your life in some people, that there's going to be times that they fail miserably. And and you're going to feel like they've betrayed all this investment and you've wasted all this time building it to somebody and they turn around and betray you because they're off doing something else that may not be part of the program. Because God is involved in the process of redeeming horribly broken men and women. And we're just as broken as they are, but because of the grace of God, he does something in our life and gives us the resources through the Spirit and his word to say, God, I know you're doing all this anyway, but I'm gonna live in obedience to you, and I'm willing to take a step into someone else's life. Not because I think I can change them, but I know that you can change them. And if that means you can use someone broken like me to help someone else get there, I'm all in. Edward Kimball, a shoe store assistant and a Sunday school teacher in Chicago, spent hours of his free time visiting inner city, he calls them young street urchins in Chicago's inner city, trying to win them to Christ. Through that time he invested, there was a young boy named D.L. Moody who gave his life to Christ in 1958. Moody, of course, grew up to be one of our great preachers in America. In 1879, Moody won F.B. Meyer to the Lord. Meyer became a preacher and won J.W. Chapman to Christ. Chapman became a preacher and brought the message of Christ to a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Sunday had a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, which was so successful the evangelist Mordecai Ham was invited to Charlotte to preach. And under Ham's preaching, a teenager named Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. It all started by bringing one kid to Christ. And when we lose sight of the value of God taking one broken vessel and moving alongside one other broken vessel to share the love of Jesus, because that, I'm, I'm not gonna make that kind of a difference. And I don't know what difference this is gonna make. We are thinking like broken human beings, not like disciples of Jesus Christ.
Are you making a difference? Do you want to be that kind of follower of Jesus that's willing to allow Jesus to be with you and you want to be with him? It's always going to cost something. And frankly, at times, the only thing that's in the way is the idolatries of our heart that say, I'm more committed to the stuff of this world than I am to Jesus. And I hope that you're both encouraged but challenged deeply that this is what it costs Christ. And for him to call us to follow him, even in the normal flow of life, is it really asking too much almost feel like, who wants to be a disciple of Jesus? But then the question is, who wants to be a disciple maker? Who wants to be the one that leads one person to Christ and helps them to become a spiritual parent so that God can multiply his work, not only through us as broken individuals, but change the world? Next week, I'm gonna be gone I won't go into all the details, but I've asked the elders and some individuals who have been having conversations with people in the world and that are new believers to share some of their testimony about what that looks like. You know, my dream is that every time we walk into this building, wouldn't it be fun if every single one of us could talk about someone we're having a discussion with to help them grow in their walk with Jesus or help discover the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference? be so much fun. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. Do you want to be with him? Father, we are humbled by the presence of Jesus. It would be easy for us to kind of discard this text because he was recruiting his apostles to be the foundation of the church. But the, the, the fundamental principle is exactly the same, that you call us to be ambassadors in the world and a light to the nations. You want us to be compelled by the love of Christ to share Jesus with those around us. And I would ask that, Father, that we would just get before your throne of grace and say, Jesus, we know that you are calling us and you desire us to be with you so that you can change us into not just those who learn from you, but those who are disciple makers. And the question we have to ask is, do I want to be with Jesus in that way, that he changes me? So that he can do a work through me that I can't do myself, that might change one life that leads to changing the world. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.